2: Hey, hey, our radio! Right, yeah. Hey, hey, I just... Hey, hey, our radio! Right, yeah. Hey, hey, I <laughs> <laughs> There's only one thing you can say!
4: Will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and three, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. And so have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man oh, gonna dominate. Offense, defense, special teams.
2: Let's go. What are we talking about?
4: Greg Zerline
2: yeah. sends the red.
1: Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul with former Los Angeles Rams offensive back Michael Stewart. We're here for another edition of the show. We've got planned to talk about plenty of things to get into. But first, before we do, got to ask the man myth, the legend, Michael Stewart. How's your week been, bud?
2: D.C., it's been great, buddy. We're just ready to get after it now. We got some rain and then we got some heat. So, uh, I'm glad that uh, the weather is getting everyone mixed up, and it's supposed to be summertime. But, man, we're ready to go. want to check out what this Ramley family means. Oh,
1: oh, oh, oh. So you, Did you read the article yet on the website from Pink?
2: No, I, I didn't, but I need to.
1: It, it's getting around. So... Our first female staff member, I don't even think she knows this because I never made a big deal of it. I always figured that eventually a female would want to come join the staff, and we never we never actually, like, kept women away from our staff. We didn't, like, hey, women, you, me, men, you stay away. It just never <laughs> happened. So right. um, I reached out to, to Pink uh, Pink Angel here, about three or four months ago and said, hey, why don't you come join the staff here and we could really use a different perspective and all these stinky, dirty men are around and, <laughs> you know, we really need, we 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 value all fans and it's just weird that we've never had a female staff member. And it wasn't about affirmative action or anything like that. It was just, hey, you know, we want a different perspective and we had a couple people apply in the past and the, the writing just wasn't good enough. and And so this time... I decided you go on a limb here because I know how well known she is in the in the rambling, and I gotta tell you man, she wrote a heck of an article for her first submission man. She wrote a legit article and it was personal. She talked about rambling, and it's weird, Mike, because I always took, you know, I always took rambling to be kind of a corny term. Uh, right. And I really kind of a couple of the guys when we started doing social media and using Ramley, I would actually go back and change it to family or Rams family because I always felt was weird. And now it just kind of fits. as corny as it still is. It fits because you learn more and more with this fan base, and it is unique and different in its own way uh, c- compared to rest of the. Now every fan base has their own, special unique qualities. But this this fan base, it's it's weird. We're, we're brothers and sisters we'll get on Twitter and we'll talk we'll talk trash each other and then when somebody else messes with us we'll go you know we'll go, go back at them and there's the stories and her stories amazing and so you know all that in there i got to ask you because you were a rams fan before you right. were a rams player then you donned the horns you represent this franchise you you played some great football for this team and now you are back in the area, you, you have owned a business out there, you coach a high school football team out there, go drillers, okay, and you are still a Rams fan. How does it feel to you right now to be a fan of this team? How do you describe what it means to be a member of the Ram League?
2: Well, it's so interesting because as you said, growing up as a Ram fan and then actually getting a chance to maybe be a fan of someone else and then now to be looking and us chopping it up, up week in, week out regarding, you know, the Rams going forward. It just is kind of unique to have all different perspectives from a real world perspective. So real thankful, you know, real excited. And, and it still kind of gets me tickled to death, you know, and it really happens when my son said, hey, dad, I, I saw a clip of you. Something happened on YouTube. And I go, oh, yeah, I guess I did play for that. <laughs>
1: How how fresh is it in your mind Those playing days
2: Man, it's, it's very fresh I mean, especially like when we talk about it And you're getting ready for You know, the show week to week You just have these memories that creep up And pop up Or you see something And it reminds you of something Whether it was traveling Or, you know, getting ready for a certain game All those type of things And now, you know, being back at the high school obviously you know when you're out there and they're taping and different things you just you just are remembering oh man i remember we were getting ready for practice or you know doing some extra drills after practice or going to a community event so you got a lot of fun memories that just creep up creep up uh pretty regularly
1: well how many of your players about what percentage of your players are rams fans now
2: well you know it's pretty interesting we still have a good number of raiders niners and Rams, but we're going to make them all conv- converts
1: <laughs> You're going to have your entire locker room in drillers <laughs> That's right, Rams to, you know, that's you're not right to tolerate those shenanigans
2: <laughs> None, none Though I had a good friend John Embry come in last week And talk to the guys and former Ram But now assistant head coach with the 49ers So that was cool That had to have been interesting
1: How do you go be a Ram then go do a 49ers thing? Yo. Like,
2: oh. Hey, man, they pay the bills. you pay the bills. You got
1: to do what you got to do. I get it. It was kind of like it was weird seeing Isaac Bruce go for the Rams and then finish his career at the 49ers. Right. That was – I'm not sure if I could handle that, man. But you yeah, gotta, I kind of you know, blocked that out. You got you. you well, know, he didn't have. I don't think he had to worry about bills to pay, but you you, you still want to you know make a living. You still want to put money away. You still want to build your wealth. I get it. You want to put an, that nest egg away from your kids. So I I get it. But man, alive seeing Isaac Bruce wear 49ers colors, man, just somebody just put me to sleep. Just just yeah yeah. I want I, I want to see that. All right, so folks, on today's show, we have a lot to talk about in terms of. Really, not so sort of on the field stuff, but a couple of things kind of happening in the background. Troy Hill signs a new contract through 2020, which may have caught some folks off guard. There was a two year deal. And then a little email popped out from the NFLPA this week to you know, President Demore uh, Smith. He basically warned players to start preparing now to get ready for a work stoppage. We're going to ask Mike what that means. He has experience being part of the union. He joined the league just a couple years after the big 1987 strike. So I have lots of questions for him. And then later on, we have the athletic Boston's Matt Chatham as part of our tour in the league. Yes, I know it's Patriots, the Patriots episode. It's it's an interesting conversation because um, going back and basically doing a post-mortem with a Patriots guy, who's also, by the way, Matt's a former Ram, um, it's it's an interesting conversation to have and then we look at their the whole off season of where they're going and it's just uh it's better than you might think it is. If I know some people don't always love the tour in the league because they're like, Well, I don't care about that team, but we always bring it back to the Rams in some kind of way, so check it out. All right, before we do, we do want you to know this episode sponsored by Jim Hawk and on his book Holloway's team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, pretty much anywhere. I mean, we are just we're like a virus, we just spread. We're a good virus, <laughs> We're a happy virus. Okay, you can also find a podcast with, with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at ClutchPoints.com or download the app. Don't forget to subscribe. We have a five-star review on iTunes. We have a contest going right now. It will probably take a millennia to finish it. But once 200 five-star reviews, one lucky winner will get a 75-hour gift to nflshot.com. And, hey, this is how it works. Over iTunes, we a five-star review. Send us an email at ramstop 1945 gmailcom with a copy of your entry so we know who to possibly reward when we draw the name. Also, we will read your feedback on the show. Don't forget our shows: is Butting Heads and Ramps Uncensored. And sooner or later, Norm Hightower will show up with his new, folk, uh, his new film. Um, and those of you who are wondering about Norm, Norm moved to North Carolina. He is currently working on building a new business with his son. And that's what's kept him away for a while. We miss him. Uh, he's my longtime partner, one of my best friends. And uh, but you know, the show goes on, and we hope, we'll hopefully we'll see him back soon. All right, here we go. Here we go. Ready, Mike? Troy yeah. Hill. Troy Hill. Troy Hill signs D- a two-year deal D-O. worth. Up for a base of $5.25 million can be worth up to $8 to $5 million. He gets $3 million bonus if he plays 52.5% of the defensive snaps next season, which I think he will. So there you go. It's a little more than I thought it was going to be. It's also surprising in some ways. That it's going to be for two seasons. We thought it would probably be for one year at his age and his experience. But when you look deeper,
2: there are reasons. What were your thoughts on the signing, Mike? Well you're always happy to see a guy get some money especially the money up front and you always like to see that he's somewhat wanted for what he needs to do for for our team Uh, but it'll be interesting the thing that always catches me is is how the money is is structured if you will. Mm -hmm. So when they talk about playtime well they can control playtime you know whether it's you know, they kind of checked that stat. Uh, I had a former teammate when I was with the dolphins, he had something similar and he was starting all the games. And then all of a sudden, you know, about the 10th game, he wasn't starting anymore. And then you found out he had this bonus on percentage of play time. So you hope that that's just a number that they're not actually looking at to see how close he is or how far, but other than that, man, uh, glad to see him get the money. And, and, hopefully he will be the guy that if he needs to be a long-term solution at any time during the season, he will. I guess that's where sort of the question I want to ask.
1: He's not known for being consistent. He's actually one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks I've ever seen. One minute he shows not just starting potential, but like pro bowl potential. He'll make some plays that just blow your mind and then he'll disappear or he'll botch a play or two or three plays. And he's just so frustrating to watch because the skill is there, but the consistency is not. So what was your take on the team actually giving him two years? And do you think it's possible that he could actually be a starter in 2020 considering there's only one other corner on the roster right now who is signed for 2020?
2: Right. This kind of goes back to a little bit of what we talked about last week in regards to, you know, just a salary thing with with uh, Jared Goff and, you know, are they going to invest that money or should they and how much is going to be. So when you talk about the inconsistency, one of the toughest thing that goes on really at any level is if you're not the starter is how how can you keep yourself focused so that when your numbers called, you go in and play like you've been in there the whole time. So for a guy like him, that's probably the toughest thing. If you're playing behind a really good corner corners like he is his mind, maybe his body feels like, well, I don't really have to prepare as much because I'm not really going to play today anyway, except maybe on special teams or nickel, things like that. And then the next thing you know, you get thrust into the game. And you're not quite mentally ready to go. And it takes you a little bit to. So that's what I would assume happens with the inconsistency. Uh, I think with the two year deal, it may give him some comfort in knowing like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not just a one year option. I'm actually going to be here. So maybe with the comfortability of what that contract is, it'll allow him to be more consistent in preparing to just be ready at, at any time.
1: Are you concerned about the Rams' secondary overall, considering that he it's just now Hill and Roby Coleman who are signed beyond 2019 with a big contract, like we mentioned before, Jerry Goff coming up? Are you concerned about, say, Marcus Peter to keep to leave and a guy that you may go out there and get in 2020?
2: How does the secondary look to you right now? Well, everybody looks great in the off season. No one's injured. Everybody's in, you know, getting in shape and getting prepared. Obviously, both of those gentlemen, uh, Peters and uh, Tlaib, are coming back somewhat from injury. So, this offseason hopefully will get them back to full strength. But the thing is with Talib, with we're looking at wear and tear age. You know, Marcus Peters, again, can you be consistent now? What should be his, his top years of play? Now being in the system another year, can he follow through? But the biggest thing is staying healthy. So if guys stay healthy, you know we're going to be solid. The trick is staying healthy. Also, when it comes down to this team defensively across
1: the board, not just defensively, not just the secondary, but the overall makeup of the roster, how do you think this changes their strategy for next year in terms of continuing to stay atop the NFC West when they don't they don't have a whole lot of people signed long term.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the trick and the nature of the business, you know, when you're talking about possible work stoppage down the road, you're talking about, you know, how's the cap? You're talking about guys that they've signed this year, how far can we we go as far as playoffs or Super Bowl run again? You know, you have all those things that are somewhat up in the air and it just never plays out plays out good on paper, but never plays out in real time until actually it happens. So, again, the biggest thing is guys staying healthy, you know, the new guys coming in, being able to gel. Uh, my son reminded me today that, you know, don't forget that uh, Jared Goff's cousin is coming back, and I go, who's his cousin? He goes, Cooper Cup. I go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> not, not, not that they're really related, but they look at it as a cousin. But nevertheless, so we have him coming back in different things. But I think it's all going to play out. We talked about a little bit before in regards to how the offense, you know, we want them to kind of use the tight ends more and all that kind of stuff. And we'll, it's going to take time to see how the offense really goes. Is Gurley really back? You know, how they're going to use the rookie, you know, all those good things. So it's going to be an interesting season.
1: All right. So basically, the root of this conversation tells us, we don't know. That's really, and it just, we don't know. We we are looking at it, positive and negatives, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of question marks about this team yeah. after this season. Con- contracts are changing, Michael Brockers, of course, uh, the cornerbacks, the the offense, and all we can really do is speculate at this point and wait it out and we'll yeah, have and- rolls. rules.
2: I mean, we haven't really talked a lot about, you know, the Sioux, you know, and Dom de not being in the in that middle, played a lot better down the stretch and in the playoffs, but I mean, how do we know how that actually works, even though maybe he wasn't getting the sacks and pressures early on, but maybe he was keeping people off Aaron Donald more and so but I think Aaron'll be at a top speed earlier just because he won't be out of camp. But, yeah, we haven't really talked about uh, Sue's factor not being there.
1: I think it's arguable, too, because at, at any point in the last how many years now, four years, did Aaron Donald have 20 sacks? But all of a sudden he has 20 sacks with Sue next to him. So maybe there's a fair argument. We have to go back and look at the film, but right, the numbers show a difference in, in Donald. Maybe it wasn't really about, maybe the teams made the sacrifices. So you know what? Let's see if we stop one of them and we have right. a better chance of stopping Sue. So they focus on on stopping Sue. And in the end, they just had to trust the quarterback to get rid of the football before Aaron Dahl
0: got there.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, it, it, that's, like you said, so many unknowns going forward where you can look at, man, there's going to be a lot of positives. You know, Aaron will be in camp early. We'll get off to a great start. You know, we got some good acquisitions in the free agent world. Man, looks like, you know, we're ready to go. Cooper's coming back. Golf will be in the system another time. Uh, hopefully, girlie back full strength. You know, all these positives. But yet, the unknowns, as you said, are kind of like, hmm, what about that? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting.
1: The journey into that the journey. unknown. I <laughs> okay. feel like we should be playing the, uh, the intro music from Space Ozzy. Right. Remember that one, 2001? <laughs> yeah. Of course, you also had to be on LSD to understand that movie. Right. But yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, moving on here, just want to let you know about a top sponsor here. That is Jim Hawk. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history, to bit of a personal touch. Check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Great Glamour and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams. It's the lens of Jim's dad, John, was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some sort of his father and team he played for in an era of grit, glamour, and future Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famers. It's been a long day, folks, okay? I promise. rebound <laughs> players like Norman Van Brocklin, Elway, Crazley Church, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in the story of Spanning the 1950s Rams. Folks, you can find this book online at Hallowastteam.com and on Twitter, Hallowastteam. It's available both on hardback and electronic form Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and soon on September 6th on paperback as well. That is... If you're a paperback person, if you like sitting by in your den or on your couch with a with a paperback book and just chilling with a coffee, that's your time. Go get it. Also, don't forget, all proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which supports the which well provides support for people coming off the street and getting them out of gang life and making them productive members of society. So a whole ton of reasons to buy this book. Check it out. Seen Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. By Jim Hawk. It's worth the time, I promise. Okay, so a couple things here about labor. Now I know it's off season. Where we, we weird things like we, I don't think we'll talk much about labor during the season, but this week the news came out that the NFL, under not NFL but the NFLPA, President DeMory Smith actually sent out a letter an email to the players and said, hey, yo, it is time for you guys to start saving money because I expect this upcoming stoppage to be long. Now, I'm paraphrasing because that does not sound professional at all. But the point is this. He's saying, start saving now. Don't go into 2020 thinking you are going to have income. And that raised quite a few eyebrows. Quite a few. So, Mike... During your time in the NFL, you never had a work stoppage, but you came in just two years after one.
2: It was an ugly one, by the way. No, actually, 87 was my rookie year. Oh, oh, so, it was? I, yeah, so I was out on strike as a rookie, uh, you know, shaking buses. and.
1: Why did I think for some reason your rookie year was 88? I, yeah, I had I a long day, man. I, yeah.
2: Those no, so 87 like was actually uh, my rookie season. So I always tell people is the, the strike year and the year that we traded Eric Dickerson. Yep. No.
1: All right, so you lived through it. You were there. What can you tell us about the experience and what can you read with the, with the messages that are being sent by the union now?
2: Well, the interesting thing was coming in as a rookie, you're going to make any more money than you did doing anything else, graduating from college. So for me... Any money was going to be good money, you know, once you made the team. The thing was with the, the work stoppage at that time, you know, we ended up missing seven games and then like one more because they gave us, a, I think, an extra week to get back in shape or not that type of deal. Uh, but the biggest thing I remember would be we'd be on strike. You know, shaking the buses for what we called the uh, guys who were crossing the picket line. Some were friends, you know, scabs and all that good stuff. But we'd stop in front of bands, shaking the bus and doing all that. Hey, but then on the Friday, they were taking off to go play. We go, oh, yeah, you guys better win this week. (laughs) And so... That was always interesting. The second part would be you'd be on the picket line and you'd go home that evening and then you'd look on the news and you're like, oh, such and such, you know, cross the picket line. You're like, what? We were just outside, you know, letting them have it. Now they crossed, didn't even let us know. So it caused a lot of uh, dissension amongst teammates. Once it was all said and done, those of us who stayed out the whole time felt like the guys who crossed, were somewhat being selfish, but you find out different people had you know financial situations and all all of that. And then uh, it just took a while for us to kind of get back as a team. So it kind of blew up our our season that year uh, because of that. The bigger picture when you're talking about the whole idea of saving funds, that's always been something known that if it's going to get to that, you should have something saved. But what the owners kind of know based on, I, I would say, 87, that guys will listen, but they really won't. So it's going to be a number of guys who don't save money and not prepared. So if they do have to strike, you're going to have guys that will cross or go in or or don't want to strike because they haven't listened and saved the money. So it'll, always, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I think the owners this time are going to try to – Get a few things back.
1: I think they will. I just don't. I don't look at this. I think of this and go, Why would you want to do anything to potentially tick off your fans at this point? There's been some controversies across the league the last few years that weren't popular, but still the most profitable league in the country is the top sport in the country in terms of interest and so on and so forth. Why mess with that? Why risk? hurting your sport long term when basically everybody's getting paid
2: so as a player can you explain some of that to me yeah well what'll happen is the league you remember again 87 they put on what they called the replacement player the replacement games you know and you go this is not going to work, you know. Four or five thousand people go to the games, and you are looking, and, and and the guys out there playing—they're not really taking it that serious, you know. There are a couple guys I know on our team ended up staying on after the strike because uh, they took took it seriously, but most people—they're just going out and getting a check, figuring, oh, we're going to be gone anyway. The dilemma comes back always is who wants to negotiate in fairness? So if ownership feels like they want to get something back, they're going to dig their heels in. The only way they can win is if they're able to put pressure enough and players cross and do those things. And then the next thing you know, it just breaks down the solidarity. The thing with the players, they have a hard time being solid across the board because of the finance issue. So, depending on. You know, low-level guy crosses the picket line, not that big a deal. High-level guy crosses the picket line, big deal. So, But you have all this money wrapped up in the sponsorships, you know, with the networks and things like that. So that's who's probably going to be able to put pressure on somewhat both sides to say, look, guys, we're the ones actually funding this league. You know, nothing against the fans, but the networks with the big money, that's where the cap is going up year in and year out. They're going to say, look, we're paying for something that's supposed to be on TV and we want our product, you guys, to get out there and get it done. So hopefully all these things are negotiation tactics that both sides are, you know, doing their thing to make sure they can get the best positive outcome, you know, be it the owners or the players. But as you kind of note it you would hope that at this point in time, the owners and players know what's at stake and everybody can come to the bargaining negotiation table in fairness and get something done before it even gets to that.
1: I guess it was a little worrying to me that that Smith sent out that email. Basically, to me, it's the first shot in the whole discussion because if you're really working towards a goal, I wouldn't be... Basically telling people hey prepare for a long work stoppage I'm guessing that's probably just them being careful in case things don't work out and not Meant to be a for a warning shot
2: Oh, no, absolutely, but you got to figure those guys are having some general discussions even now And they both get a sense of Hey, this is what the players want this go round." okay Owners, this is what we want this go around. So they've had some general discussions and it's kind of come down to a couple things that they're really going to haggle over. You know, the cap probably uh, maybe adding games. I know the owners want to add another game or start the season early or something, you know, so it comes down to those things uh, from the player standpoint, they're going to look at, well, man, the owners are making plenty of money. You know, we want to get a little more of that. Or want to get more guarantees, so uh, things have improved over the years. But at the same time, when you're talking about big business, the businesses of the ownership, they're saying, "Look, it's cutting into our profits overall. Even though we're all making more money, we still want to make a little more money. So that's where the heels start getting dug in, and the ownership knows that." At the end of the day, we can pull the plug on some things and we'll be able to outlast anyone. So that's why it'll be interesting to see how these other leagues do because right now they kind of have a gentleman's agreement. Hey, let's not try to sign a guy out of your league if he's already in your league. But if there's a work stoppage, hey, come on, you come play with us. Interesting with XFL
1: starting in 2020 and,
2: Apparently, they're doing the smart thing compared to
1: what the AAF did in terms of taking their time, trying to do it right, and who knows if they will or won't. I mean, if there are options out there, who who knows? Um, Got this article here. It's a little bit older. It's from May 29th from the Washington Post, uh, Mark Maskey, and it kind of lays it out a little bit here. What he's saying is the NFL is some owners are looking at, hey, the possibility of an 18-game season. I know – there in the past has not been popular players union or an expanded play, uh, playoff field. Go from 12 to 14 teams. In that case, there would be seven teams in each conference. And instead of there being two by teams, the first round there will only be one. So that way you have six games, three teams move on, four teams are then in divisional playoffs. Many uh, owners, are, uh, quoting here, many owners also seem willing to make concessions to the union on the commissioner disciplinary authority and the sports marijuana policy, quote-unquote. So there are things to talk about, and the way the tone of this article makes it sound like, hey, you know what? Um, these guys are a lot closer to making an agreement than they have been in the past. They're getting along. They understand that the the, the league's making $15 billion a year. The salary cap is continuing to grow. It's been grown by $10 million in six straight years. It's would seem kind of silly to mess with that economic based on the economic foundation. There's no reason to mess with it. So it seems like I don't really see a work stoppage to actually happen. I think they're going to get a deal done. That's the impression I get. And I don't think there's anything to worry about. But maybe you're
2: reading the TVs wrong. Maybe well, not wrong, but differently than me. I'm probably wrong because Lord knows I'm wrong all the time. No, I mean, all those things absolutely are on the table. The thing is, as it gets down to it, do those things that, don't seem like should be a real sticking point, do they become a sticking point, you know, and so that's where the thing, I'll get tricky, and then you know, as these negotiations go, if something is said or something is done, it makes it look like, oh, okay, that's how you guys feel about it, well, you know what? Guess what? We're not going to show up. Or, guess what? Because what happened with us, we got locked out. It was like, you guys can't come back. What? What happened? So we got locked out. So that's kind of where the, the power, you know, ultimate are right, is everyone gonna be able to share power, if you will, and keep the money machine going and the profitability and, and the consistency, or does someone or one of the owners dig in and, you know, kind of trips up to ownership or what have you, or, you know, back with the uh the players who Ultimately, you know The player reps come back to the teams and they go hey guys, that's what they're offering us What do you think they take a vote per team and that type of thing you get one team? No, man, that's not fair and then the next thing, you know, you don't get the votes so It could get tricky if it gets personal as long as it doesn't get personal It should get get worked out before it even gets to that point I I think it's I think you're
1: either gonna have an extra playoff team or 18 game season, or, or or both. I think they're gonna. I think they're going to try and do something to try and add a little more revenue. That's what they're looking for, really. Why else do 18 games? Maybe, heck, I think everybody be happy to get rid of get rid of half the preseason. If you want 18 games, get rid of two preseason games. I think we'd all be happy with that. I mean, I would. I'm not paying 70 bucks to go see a preseason game. <laughs> they're still doing that to people. Uh, so, right. my last question on this is for you: is where do you think? Well, how do you think this will affect the Rams come 2021 given the makeup of the roster
2: now? Well, again, all those things remain to be seen. I think a lot will play out depending on the, how the team does this year. You know, if if they're right there, let's say knocking at the door again, then they're going to want to just try to shore up the team, maybe get a few pieces here and there. If for some reason the wheels fall off or it's just not a good year for whatever reason. Then there may be some, some major uh, shufflings and upheaval to the roster, which means it could be more money or they could take a different approach and, and somewhat rebuild. I don't see that happening because it just seemed like there's just too many good players that are on the team and on the roster that uh, we should be in the hunt for years to come.
1: Here's open. This, this will be our first look. Hopefully, it's one of our last looks at the labor situation. It's still a long time away, but we do want to be aware. We do want to keep people informed on it and get you thinking about it. And so, hopefully, you can put your voice in there as well. You know, the fans have a role in this. They're the ones who pay the cash. In the end, the money comes from our pockets. It goes into their coffers. So, don't think for a moment you don't have a say.
2: Now, don't the Rams
1: open up the new stadium
2: in 2020?
1: Yes, they do. Well, th- see, it's getting ready for 2020. The contract ends in 2020, so we're looking at a possible 2021 strike or yeah. lockout. So, really, the next two years. So, what I'm looking at is this core of the team. If Aaron Dahl is what, just turned 28? So, maybe right. 31. Jared Goff will be three years older. So, I'll put him, what, 26, 27. Right. So, that, that core should be basically in its last couple of years before you have to kind of rearm. Hopefully, it's just a rearming. So we'll see, we'll see. All right, folks. Hey, we're looking for sponsors. Just say it. We we need to keep the lights on. I mean, if you look, if you could see Mike right now, his room is kind of like dim. He's not, you know, he's he, he's not able to pay the bills to get a bright light in his room. You know, exactly. I, I, I'm just saying, if you could look at me right now, I can't, I'm so poor, I can't get a haircut. So, anyways, anyways, if you would like to advertise with us. Reach out to us at ramstop 1945 at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. You could do that as well at 657-666-5453. We do have a mini kit ready to get out to you. And also, we do have a podcast out there if you're an Angels fan locally, um, Talking Halo. That's hosted by me and John Crane. And it's actually going really well. We do have the possibility. We've been working on getting a Dodgers podcast going. But it's taking some time because my staff members here just, I don't know. I I don't want to thumb under a bus, so there you go. All right, moving on. To in the league, it's been a fun series thus far. We've been getting really informed on these different teams. This week, it's Matt Chatham. He played for the Rams originally, then played the Broncos, career with the Patriots. Now works with the Athletic Boston and Nesson, and so on and so forth. Great conversation we had him on during Super Bowl week. He came back to talk some Patriots. We got to we we worked a little bit on the Super Bowl in this in this edition, and also. Talk about the Patriots off season. So here you go. Without further ado, the tour around the league for the Patriots. Oh lordy! All right, folks. I am here with Matt Chatham from the Athletic Boston and the Patriots Real Thing podcast. How you doing, man? It's been a while.
4: Yeah, I'm all right. It's uh, you know these they uh, you know they obviously win a lot, and <laughs> so we have a lot of these kind of oddball off seasons where uh, you feel like it's sort of thrust upon you, you know, and the Rams are going through that a little bit as well. It, it's sort of an accelerated offseason. You play longer than just about everyone else in the league, and then uh, next thing you know, the, the agency and the draft are done. It's like, wow, it's, uh, we're already kind getting back into it. So it's that sensation once again.
1: Well, one of the weird things about it, and I guess I did want to ask you about it, even though I hadn't thought about it until now, the, the whole thing with the Rams and Patriots, mean the Super Bowl, and... Just kind of the way Bill Belichick and Sean McVay really hit it off, and then you have a draft where three trades happen between the two teams. Yeah. What the heck is going on between the Rams and Patriots right
4: now? Yeah, it's interesting that it, that it kind of went down that way. Uh, if you typically think of teams that, that- – that are gonna do a lot of business with one another. It's generally as if they don't see them as a threat, which uh, obviously wouldn't be the case in this situation. It's one of the better teams in all the league, so uh, it is a little unusual. But I think, it, as much as anything, if if you get to a certain point where there's some professional uh, mutual professional respect, uh, that neither guy's trying to game the other, uh, there's a general sense that you have sort of mutual. Uh, a mutual interest in making your own team better <laughs> and that uh, both generally seem to think that that's happening. I, I think you, you see a, the other scenario is when you'll see a one-off and one guy just works the other side over and you know the value's way out of whack and you never see him do a deal again. But when they return to the table with people, that generally is a is a signal that, uh, that they respect one another.
1: It was really interesting just to watch how the whole circle went down and, and seeing how, I mean, honestly, from our end, like Sean McVay was just looking at Bill Belichick with googly eyes. A little bit like a man crush.
0: A <laughs> little bit, a little bit.
1: I can't really blame him too much. You know, this is your 33-year-old coach who's, this is your first time there, and you're talking to Bill Belichick, the legend here. And in a lot of ways, it looks, it felt to us like Sean like had wet the bed a little bit come Super Bowl time, and again, that's not an attack either because you, you're young, you're, this is your first time there. Now it's all over and done with, and you can look back at the 2018 Patriots. What will you remember about that team that made them special, and how they turn the year around?
4: I mean, it, it, the thing that I'll that I'll never forget is just the, you know the performance they had on that particular day, and how dissimilar it is to really anything that anyone's done ever. And I think what, this is unfortunately what happens a little bit when you when you're on the wrong side of one of those, you know, an equal a very nearly equally good performance gets forgotten. I mean, that the performance that the Rams defense had on that particular day is. Pretty darn good, especially consider how much uh, you know. Obviously, the Chargers and Chiefs struggle with this group. They just get, they just got lit up. Uh, but for the Patriots uh, to, I, I think, uh, arguably, I don't think is the accurate word. I think it's inarguably. Now, I think that was the that's the best defensive performance in the Super Bowl that we've seen. There's there's been a couple others. I, I referenced it way back when we were plowing through this stuff back in February. But there was another. Super Bowl where the sort of expected points uh, and the, the total they held below that expected points based upon their season and playoff averages, it had been done once before uh, where they had been this far off, uh, uh, where the Patriots were able to keep the Rams in that particular game, uh, but the only difference here and versus that other example is the, the, the point total was even lower. So it's not the expected total difference and then the total itself was low, so it's just it was a wildly, wildly effective day on a, on a, on a, on a day where the opponent you had so much respect for. So I think that's one of the things that'll, that'll stick with you. In other scenarios, in other scenarios, the Patriots have won many, many times. And I mean, even in our first one in the one against the Rams, we were kind of known as a defensive team. So, I mean, I, I know it sort of shocked the world and all that, that we were able to hold the, the greatest show on turf down and all that, but we were pretty much a defensive led team. So to have a, a dominant defensive performance, that would have fit the script of something that went our way. Um, that wasn't necessarily what you would have expected from last season's team. It was a good and plucky defense that had their had their moments. They certainly had a ton of situations throughout the season where they'd stepped up, but to have gone out and put an all-time performance uh, out there, I mean, that's just... Uh, That's the kind of thing as a player that you you just you'll you'll be proud of the rest of your life. It can never be taken away from you. Maybe they take a step back this year. Maybe no one's ever able to replicate it. But it did happen on that day, and it's a pretty special thing.
1: And you know, it sucks on our end to have lost that game and have seen the way it went down. I was we had this conversation the first time around, and when I asked you about you know the whole you know Spygate thing and. And there's no excuses on the Rams. Yeah, we just, we lost to a better team, and actually was I felt better about it to be honest. Losing that game, if you lose by a field goal and it's super close, you ask yourself a bunch of what ifs. Or if you get blown out, you're just embarrassed. In this case, you just lost, and you can accept that. You, you the team, the better team, won that game, and it was pretty handily. That way, I can't complain about it. The Patriots <laughs> won that game. They won. And I can own that, you know? So, but looking forward to the Patriots here. They lose Rob Gronkowski to, to retirement. What will his legacy in the NFL be, and did he do enough to earn entry into the Hall of Fame?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm I I, I, I I'm in awe of Rob, and uh, my our career is just sort of passing ships kind of thing. I was, 09 was the year I was out, and I believe he came in in 10, so I never... Uh, fort- unfortunately, I guess got an opportunity to play against him uh, those years in New York. It would have been the opportunity, but just barely missed it. Um, I've just been in awe of him personally, knowing sort of the different body types that we saw throughout you know the era prior to that. The guys that I got to go against and you know your biggest human beings that were really good at, as as blockers would be like your Kyle Brady uh maybe Aaron Kenny from Tennessee uh Jason Dunn who was sort of the other guy uh throughout all those years of Tony Gonzalez in Kansas City but he was the real big 6'6 275 guy that could absolutely maul Algie Crumpler was another one who was a really good blocker uh but you go down those lists of guys that are really really super competent in that part and they're not guys that Unless you're sort of a hardcore, or a guy that's playing, or a real hardcore fan that would would know a lot about, but uh, that's why Rob Gronkowski is far and away the best tight end that's ever played because he is the best at both functions. And uh, it's always been an agitant, uh, something that's agitated me uh, that. Uh, you would ever define a position by such a partial component of what their actual job is and that's mm-hmm. you know when we talk about the, the the other great you know the other guys that are sort of consensus greatest tight ends uh, you know like Tony Gonzalez is tremendous as a pass catcher I and mean, he was unguardable for years and years and years Antonio Gates very similar to that uh, but that's half their job so they're out there for 65 snaps and they're absolutely elite at the pass-catching part and maybe average, even mediocre in the other part in certain instances. And I just never understood how that could possibly be a sensible definition for greatest. Uh, We don't do that in other positions. I mean, you wouldn't look at Walter Jones and call him one of the better tackles if he was an awesome pass protector and he couldn't run block worth a damn. That's not the case, obviously. Uh, But, you know, like Orlando Pace. Orlando Pace, we would never say, hey, Orlando's one of the best ever. Can't really pass protect but Boy, can he run block. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But for some reason with tight ends, it's just that's Stuff which is silly. Rob was elite at both functions. There's no other tight end that less uh, you know. And Tony Gonzalez. Not to say that he was. He deserves a ton of credit because he was a basketball player, body type, who was willing to stick his nose in there, he was athletic and could could get in the way in space. But he wasn't the same thing, and it's just its just not even fair to compare them. It's a whole different universe, and like I said, Jason Dunn is a name that most people aren't going to know. Jason was tremendous, just a bull. Kyle Brady was like having another tackle out there, former mm-hmm. first-round pick. Those kind of guys uh, block at the level that Rob Krakowski blocks at, um, uh, and then, but, but you know, Rob could do both, and there's just not going to be another guy like him. You're not—you can look through this draft class. I believe there were 16 of the guys taken— um, you know, you just don't you don't find that combination. Uh, it's hard to find one or the other that's as good at that yeah. level. You're, you're never going to find both.
1: So let me rephrase the question there because I'm, I'm I guess this takes me to the next one, and that is: is he a first time hollow Planner? Is he a first ballot guy?
4: Yeah, I just think that's become such a weird, and I, it's a it's a totally reasonable question. I understand why people go there. I it just it's become this kind of weird, almost politics kind of thing where. I don't know what the the, the the real metric or you know criteria is to be in that's the best Titans ever played are they gonna vote in first I don't know I mean it's is it, is it, 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 it has football become sort of the, the Cal Ripken thing where it's we're, we're doing accumulation now and statistic accumulation. I mean, that's not really what football was ever about. I mean, maybe if we're talking running backs or something. But, I mean, if you know, uh, I don't know if the car analogy is perfect, but you can take, like, a really solid car that everyone loves, a Cadillac or whatever. And uh, Cadillacs don't become my box or Maybox or whatever by virtue of just being a Cadillac for 20 years. Uh, there are other vehicles that are better, and I, I just think there's a, we get into we fall into this little trap. If you take something that's very good and very good over 15 years, somehow becomes great, uh, but great for a shorter span. But who cares? Is now not great because it didn't have some sort of I don't know. Uh, Volkswagen longevity thing or something I don't know I just to me that to me that doesn't make any sense and, and I don't know when we started thinking that was football that's not football football is you're going to discernibly able to tell who's better in at a pocket that's bigger than maybe five years um Brunk played whatever it was nine so yeah mm-hmm. he's walking away on his own merits I think that's probably one of the things that may get forgotten in all of this Robert Minkowski is is deciding to walk away this is not Terrell Davis, where he was just wrecked and it's not going to happen anymore. Uh, He is doing it for for life choices and maybe a little bit of health as well. But he could easily do this for a few more years if he just wanted to see some more numbers on a page. But to me, that's really besides the point.
1: Just the idea about the Hall of Fame, I look back at that and have the same questions. and A little bit different scenario, but Isaac Bruce for us gets to the Hall of Fame committee this year and gets seven minutes is is a conversation about Bruce and no debate. And we're wondering why. Not even a debate about it. He's a finalist, but not even a debate at that point. We have a guy by the name of Eddie Metter. He's in his 80s now. Uh, One of the best defensive backs of the 1960s. Should be in the Hall of Fame. Never has been really even talked about for it. And you wonder, these are the questions you ask why and how much the politics are involved. How much does the quality of the team? And yes, longevity in many cases matters. And we wonder why. Why? Why would it matter if you were the best of your age for a certain period of time? It does it really matter that you quit a little earlier than normal.
4: Uh, to me, no. Uh, but uh, unless you're changing sort of the point of the game or the point of playing, it, again, it's not. It's not an Easter egg hunt. We're not trying to accumulate as many things as you can. This isn't Halloween. You know, going for candy and Halloween or whatever as a kid. Like I, I just don't. I, I the idea that it's accumulation totals to determine who's better. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not the point of the game. You play for you know, you do need to play for a long amount of time. We're talking about the greatest ever, and that you know usually has to span more than a second contract. So we're talking something beyond eight years or so. Uh, but after that, it's all gravy. Um, it, I mean, it's not to it's not to, and I hope it didn't come out this way with my answers. It's not to derive longevity. Longevity is mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, if you can be an Iron Man, that's that's pretty badass. I mean, you look at Jason Witt, and he was able to play for a long time. Uh, if you if you look at Antonio Gates, they play for a long time, and being able to stay healthy is 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 not something to deride. I don't I don't mean that, uh, and it takes a real pro to you get you get to earn a lot of money if you can do that, you know. But that doesn't change something from good into great just by virtue of being around for longer. It's, those are two different conversations. So I don't know when or where, and or some of the people that are in that room judging that maybe just. Don't understand it that well, and seem to think that that's part of it. And I don't think in in player circles, uh, you know, someone who everyone had a ton of respect for and all thought was very good doesn't magically bump up a level if they just keep doing it. That's that's just not how perception works. And I don't mean, think like yeah. that's what the reality of it is on the ground.
1: Well, and moving forward here, though, with with Rob, the the Patriots saw a lot, a ton of free agent traffic going in at going out and coming in this year. This offseason. So, what are the most significant departures and what the, and which incoming free agents do you expect to make the biggest difference this year?
4: Well, I mean, Trey Flowers on the defensive side and then obviously Rob on the offense. I mean, those are two monster figures for this organization. I think one, obviously with Rob, we're talking personality and production. With, uh, with Trey, it's more of a quiet leader uh, who is just an absolute consummate pro. The guy that's going to, you know, I kind of have a sensitive spot for this just being a being an outside linebacker slash the end type. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times the grade sheets that you get from a position coach uh, are really indicative of the way you're playing, not necessarily the stat sheet. I know we do a lot of the stuff based off what ends up on a Sports Center highlight or whatever. You know, there will be the guys that will get a sack or two or three or whatever or have the big game where they have two or three highlight plays or third highlight play, whatever it is, and that's kind of how they're known. Trey was really one of those guys where you're going to go back to look at his grade sheet and you're going to have a hard time finding a play where someone beat him and that doesn't, but he may not have had the three highlight plays. And those are the kind of guys that, you know, everyone in the locker room just like really respects. Like that's a guy who always wins. He does his job. That that old saying. And those guys are hard to, hard to, hard to find, uh, to replace. You can find Michael Bennett's now in there and he's someone that they have a ton of respect for a little bit older, uh, but still seems to have plenty of juice in the tank. Um, but you know, it's just a, it's just you don't mean to say that. Hey, he had a lot of sacks and he plays a similar position. He'll play every little aspect of the position at the same, same level. Now they're they're, they're going to be a little bit different kind of players. So we'll kind of wait and see how it plays out. But uh, it's hard to find another Trey Flowers, uh, not quite like it's hard to find another Rob Gronkowski. That's just about the uniqueness of the body type and ability. Yeah. But uh, Trey's consistency is something that is going to be difficult to replace.
1: Now, the draft itself, though, I mean, we're seeing the Patriots did pretty well, at least according to the experts. What were the best picks for them this year and some of the ones that didn't excite you as much?
4: Well, uh the one of this kid from Michigan I think is an interesting one. Uh he he's he's not huge. This is not like a Willie McGinnis body type. It's not even like Trey that there's you know, there's a two sixty five, two seventy kind of guy, sort of a tweener almost thing that could bounce around. This is more in the mold of the uh the lighter outside linebacker slash DN, but you know, he's not six six, he's not two seventy five or two eighty five or whatever. He's quick, he's super aggressive, but he just seems to be you know, uh, the sort of football pumping through his veins kind of guy. So great attitude, great motor, uh, measurables were great. He tested out really well, and wherever it was, I think they took him in the third. He just kind of seems like, you know, and again, these are so anecdotal and so corny and maybe not even that helpful, but that's really all we have going on at this time of year. But he seems like he has that patriot attitude. He just he talks the team thing very well, and then Michigan's a place that's going to, Kind of breeds you really well to, to, to kind of have that professional attitude, just like Alabama, just like some of the other places out there. Uh, but he comes in seeming prepared for this, and he comes in uh, pretty highly touted by teammates and coaches, which, you know, you're going to get that a lot coming out of the draft. But um, it might just be a perfect place uh, for the perfect guy, and, uh, you know, they'll need that. You know, Rob Nankovich is gone, and the transition's kind of gone from there. We're trying to find some extra help on the outside. Trey's gone, so in a year where you lose Trey and then that's two removed from Rob, you're starting to look for some of those new personalities on the outside and uh, one of his kids looks like he's a, a good possibility.
1: Now Looking forward here, it's been a dominant time for the Patriots and the AFC East. How much longer do you see them dominating the way they have been there and what kind of what's your win toll for them for next year?
4: Uh, it's an interesting question uh, in regards to it's, it's almost if you answer that question with the, the presumption that they keep winning uh, it, it's not so much to me that they'll continue to be at their level it's sort of more guessing on what's going on with the other three uh, i don't expect you know it, it you really have to have some great solid reason for thinking a win total change of a of a, of a game up or down would happen with the patriots and you need something major you know like a like Brady not being there or something or or uh you know <laughs> and scheme change on defense and the loss of half the roster or something you know like <laughs> without that it seems more like we're talking about the machine and the machine doesn't there's not that much variability that's kind of what it's built to do they find their kind of guys they pump the system full of them the depth is incredible there's no wildly overpaid guys on the roster so the it's sort of the, the risk is spread out amongst the 53 and they really seem to be kind of in that position. They let the big deals go. Trey Flowers gets the monster contract. God bless. I mean, it, you'd be really happy for the guys that he got it. But now you're absent that and you have more mild dollars there. So I think it helps them stay competitive. And then as you mentioned, they, they seem to have a pretty competitive draft. Or at least some guys are happy with the, uh, the kid, uh, Nikhil from, uh, from Arizona State is an, an interesting prospect, just because they don't take first rounders, uh, first round wide receivers, yeah. and now they've done that for the first time. So, you know, we'll see. And I hate doing predictions based on draft picks because they often can contribute, but don't end up having nearly as much of an impact in year one. Uh, but then, you know, when we're trying to talk about the other three teams, them drawing closer, a lot of the judgments are based on who they drafted because they need those players. So, uh, you know, I, it's very difficult, I think, to guess uh, which of the three that will separate them, uh, separate from the pack and put the most pressure on the Patriots. It appears to be the Bills, uh, but then I think there's an argument that could be made for the Jets. The, the Dolphins roster seems to be a bit a bit decimated, although we all love Brian Flores and thinks he's going to do a tremendous job there. Um, you know, Josh Rosen's going to get a chance to turn things around, and they have a backstop there in Fitz. But uh it just seems to be more of a roster and flux with those guys. And uh the Bills are just kinda starting to restock and maybe they'll be competitive if if the quarterback can 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 get it together. But the Jets they've uh, they've unfortunately had to do multiple rebuilds over the last ten years, so now they're back at that again and you know, maybe they'll come knocking. But I, I don't see either of those three really pressuring them necessarily unless the Patriots, you know, fall two wins off of where they were and I wouldn't expect that. I think North of 11 is
1: always a pretty safe bet. I mean, I look at the Patriots roster this year and what they've done for agency in the draft, and I really like what they've been doing. As a matter of fact, they, they, to me, look better, even with losing Flowers and Gronk. Oh, as a roster, they look more talented. And that's. And I'm just sitting there going, really? I thought this team might be on the way down a little bit as Tom Brady gets older. But it was a heck of an offseason, especially in the draft. So I, I'm just wondering, at this point, do you consider them to be the favorites right now on paper in the AFC again, or is there, are there other teams out there right now that you think may threaten them?
4: Well, I mean, when you win, when you win, and uh, unless you unless you win it, and then you know lose a quarterback, or, or you win it and go through an entire you know scheme change both sides of the ball, or something like that. You know, say you change coordinators and you go 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three or something like that, you're going to just completely re implement. And there's reasons to think for a step back. I think the champs when they come back. Uh, unless another another scenario is say there's some massive cap issue with it you've 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 gone all the way you've won the thing and you just have to tear it down because you built for that one one chance in those scenarios the the returning team you know isn't necessarily going to be there but i think in any other you have to expect that they will especially the way that the patriots had sort of a an atypical season you know an 11 and 5 year and had to kind of scratch their way through to the end Uh, i i I regret would agree with you there's potential for this to be a better team um but their biggest issue is not not scuttling too much in september and october you know they, they they uh they really put themselves behind the eight ball in a lot of scenarios throughout the season so uh to to get back to that you know shiny 13 and 3 stuff and 14 and 2 and fly through and kind of hit their stride that'll be a that'll be a test because there is some reliance now on, on, a, on a good number of new faces you know obviously when you're talking about a a rookie wide receiver uh, that's a first-round draft pick. You know, the, the the production there may not come till the second half of the season. You just don't know. Josh Gordon is a huge swing factor there, if he is or isn't available. Uh, the, the best thing they've got going for them is a tremendous running game, a really well-built offensive line. The only question right now is left tackle, and it's either last year's first-round draft pick for them and Isaiah Wynn with the Achilles or... Then we get into a situation where they may have to still uh, go out and get a free agent um, to to fill that need in a short term. So I don't know. I, th- I think there's there's there should be a lot of uh, of a belief in them being back in a comparable position. It's just a little more difficult because we kind of go through the names you know every year who is going to yeah. challenge them. Is it Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh wasn't it? You know they didn't they didn't even make the playoffs a year ago, and they look like they're going through a bit of a a reconfiguration. Uh, people feel good about the Colts, but. I thought the Colts' performance against the Chiefs was was an exposure kind of day. I, I think the gap between those teams was pretty dramatic, and that's even presuming you know the Chiefs lose Tyreek Hill here, which which may be the case, uh, and they're going to go through a little bit of a transition themselves. So uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think that the AFC has as many clear number twos or threes or teams that are right there nipping at the heels as you necessarily do in the NFC. The NFC seems to have a lot of strong contenders that, you know, if you're the Rams, you want to get back. you got to deal with the Saints. Yep. Minnesota could be resurgent. Philly, you expect to be back. It's just a little tougher draw, it seems, on that side than what at least it appears to be right now in May.
1: Oh, it is. It is. And I'd be lying to you if I felt like the Rams or she wouldn't even get back the playoffs, let alone to the title game again. The NFC is deep, and it's going to be a war on that side of the NFL next year. So, Matt, can you tell people where they can find you and follow your stuff? I mean, I always love talking to you, man. You always got to get some good stuff for me.
4: Appreciate that. Uh, so I'm uh, at the Athletic Boston, so this is sort of a light time of year, just pumping out one column a week. <laughs> trying not to manufacture too much stuff at this time, but uh, and then I work for Nesson, the New England Sports Network. Uh, and again, same thing, Nesson, we're national, so if you're out in L.A., you probably have in your cable patrick and don't even know it. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's where you'll find me at this time of year, and uh, the Real Thing Patriots podcast doesn't take off till the season. And, uh, you know, just kind of laying low right now, so enjoying my off-season, hanging out with the kids.
1: Enjoy that, man. i got two little ones at home, and I'm, I'm sucking it all the time I can get with them. I totally get you. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. All right, all well, right, so, thanks for having me thanks on. Thanks
1: again. Thanks so much. We'll, hopefully we'll talk to you guys thanks. next Super Bowl.
4: My pleasure. Take care.
1: All right, take care. <laughs> all right, always a great conversation with Matt. Always happy to talk to him, even though it's about the Patriots, your beloved Patriots right here, and I mean that fully sarcastically. It is time for us, though, to go. And... Say sayonara, adios, whatever you, whatever you want to say. Don't forget follow us on Twitter at TalkRams on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DCApala, D-C-I-A-P-A-L-A, and Mike at 1Duke23. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places, iBeatRadio.com. They play our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Mike, any closing thoughts from you today?
4: Au revoir,
2: as we would say in French.
1: Au revoir. All right, folks. Have a great one. We'll see you midweek. Take care.
2: We're out of here.
3: We're out.
2: The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet
1: is still in range.
2: Where else is history? Still in a make The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America.